Okay, this half hour, I'm delighted to have with me a guy who is no stranger to our radio program. And I often know the Manitoba school schedule by his comings and goings. He is a senior fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. Uh, He's a high school teacher in Manitoba. And he's the man who wrote, What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them? His name's Michael Zwagstra. And every time he comes into Saskatchewan, it's usually a week when he's not teaching school back in Manitoba. And he's speaking uh, and speaks extensively at educators and parents conferences around the country. And I thought we'd uh, pry him loose for half an hour this morning. Great to have you back. Well, I'm very glad to be here, John. Thank you for having me. Okay, so life is good in Manitoba. You're still uh, in front of the kids every day in school. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's important, and uh, I enjoy teaching. That's why I've done it so long. So the, the point of this speech, uh, content knowledge, the key to 21st century learning that you're doing, is an interesting way that I think most of us intuitively understand it and know what you're talking about, But the fact that you have to speak about content knowledge is probably a significant indictment on some education systems. What are you arguing that we need to do more of? Well, what I'm arguing is that facts and knowledge, content, these are things that are important, that kids need to memorize things, that practice still remains important, that you have to have facts in your brain. One of the concerns I have about the 21st century learning movement is it de-emphasizes, puts less emphasis on facts and knowledge and says, well, you know, the world is changing so fast, uh, we, we should teach kids instead, they should have critical thinking skills and they can look it up. So instead of the teacher having a repository of knowledge that they're passing on to students, instead we want to simply empower them and that the content doesn't really matter a whole lot, rather we want to teach them the process. And that is problematic because facts do matter. Knowledge does matter. You cannot think critically if you don't have facts in your brain. Now, the fact that you have to explain this, how prevalent is it in the 21st century learning model that school systems and school boards and governments are are, are starting to preach? Well, it's quite prevalent. And I'll give you one very recent example. The uh, British Columbia government is uh, revamping its uh, curriculum. And uh, I'll just quote from one thing that they have on their website uh, where they say, what and how we teach our students has been redesigned to provide greater flexibility for teachers while allowing space and time for students to develop their skills and explore their passions and interests. The deep understanding and application of knowledge is at the center of the new model as opposed to the memory and recall of facts that previously shaped education around the globe for many decades. And so the BC Ministry of Education, as one of many examples, is explicitly saying that we don't really need to focus on memorizing facts and learning content. We can reduce that and instead focus rather on deep understanding. And what I'm saying is that you cannot have deep understanding unless you know a lot You cannot think critically if you don't have substantial background knowledge about whatever the topic at hand happens to be. And we went through this, I know, in this province with this abomination of mathematics, which we still haven't cleared ourselves of. Uh, The provincial government uh, three, four years ago said, well, they'd look at it. They didn't really do much at all. You've got this weird front-end averaging. You've got bizarre concepts, but at their root, uh, what's it called, drilling... Well, they call it, uh, they'll call it drill and kill in terms of what they don't want to do. Yeah, so they don't um, want you to memorize time They want you to memorize. They that's call drill it, and kill. Yeah, and I think you do need to memorize. When you, talk, you look at a subject like math, there are specific facts, your multiplications, times tables you need to have memorized. There are certain algorithms for adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing that are developed by math- mathematicians centuries ago that are the most efficient ways that work with numbers no matter what size they are. And what you see with the math textbook still being used in Saskatchewan and in 
other provinces, books like Math Makes Sense, you see these convoluted word problems that don't make sense. And students are supposed to invent their own ways of solving problems, and that will allegedly lead, lead to a deeper understanding of math. It doesn't. It leads to a deeper confusion. Michael Zweigstra is here, high school teacher, senior fellow in the Frontier Center for Public Policy, and the man who wrote the book, What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. So when you focus on content knowledge, explain, if you would, how that plays into critical thinking. Because again, I, I read a lot about this coming from certain, um, I, I'm loath to pin it on teachers, because every teacher I know agrees entirely with you. So I think a lot of it is the administrators and the, the academics. You know, kids don't have to learn hard knowledge. We'll simply teach them where to find it. We'll teach them how to effectively Google. Um, why does having a subsisting basis of knowledge how does that play into critical thought? Well, I'll give you a specific example from a subject I currently teach in school. Uh, one of the electives I teach is a course called American History. And so the students who are taking this course invariably know almost nothing about American history prior to taking the course. And I spend substantial time building up their background knowledge about the history of the United States. They learn about where slavery came from. They learn about some of the challenges in the civil rights movement and, and segregation. And as they learn those things, as they see the history of the Civil War, now they after doing that, they get into some serious critical thinking about why are there tensions, for example, between African-Americans and police of the United States? Because if we just simply jumped into that and said, let's do some deep thinking about some of those controversial issues without the background knowledge, without actually knowing the history in some level of detail, they're not going to be able to think critically. Same thing in a subject like Canadian history, which I also teach. I can assure you that if a student does not know uh, which provinces were involved in Confederation and does not know something about the people involved, such as John and MacDonald and George Etienne Cartier and George Brown, if that student doesn't know about those things, that student will not have much in the way of deep thought or critical thought about why the Confederation happened the way it did and what could have been changed or what could have been differently. You need to have the facts first in your brain so that you have something to work with in order to think critically. And it also helps, and I found this sometimes, and again, I think part of it's being young sometimes and just not knowing, it's context. Because unless you know enough facts to know the context of how and where and why a decision was made, then you use that as your lifting off. If you just don't know any facts, how can you appreciate context? Well, absolutely. And I'll add another point here, that another reason that content is important is that it makes reading itself possible. See, part of the problem is that we look at reading, and it's often taught as this abstract skill, that as long as you've learned how to read in terms of the basics, you can now read pretty much anything and understand it. Not true. The reality is, is that if you're reading an article or a book, and you know almost nothing about the content, and if you don't know half the words in it, you're not going to be able to understand understand what you read. If you don't know what parliamentary democracy is and what a prime minister is, you're not going to be able to read and understand an article about the current Canadian political system. And so reading comprehension is just as important as decoding the words. And we're really shortchanging students if we don't have a heavy emphasis on lots of content and knowledge and facts as early as possible. Because the more you know, the more you're able to acquire and the more you're able to do. What are parents telling you about this? Are they frustrated? I, many parents are very frustrated. Parents agree with what I'm saying. This is common sense. This is not. This is common sense that is backed up by research. And one of the things that I'm going to do in my presentation is outline. Here are some research studies. You know, actual studies that confirm these points about the importance of reading comprehension and that you need knowledge in order to think critically. These are backed up by overwhelming research. It's backed up by cognitive psychologists who understand how the brain really works. The evidence is overwhelmingly behind this, 
And most people agree with me when I bring these types of things up. Michael Zwagstra is here. He's a Manitoba high school teacher, also senior fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy, and the man who wrote What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. When we get back, who are and what are the agencies and activists suggesting kids don't need to focus as much on content? You're not going to know who's at work unless you identify these forces that are trying to change what you intuitively know. We'll talk more about that next. And hey, questions, comments, feedback, you want to grill Michael Zwagstra? You want to agree with him? It's one 332 8255 or 306-306 on the CJME text line. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm John Gormley. Uh, school teacher Michael Zwagstra is with us. Uh, he is a senior fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy in Winnipeg. Uh, a school teacher in Manitoba who wrote the book of how many years ago now? It's been a while. The uh, What's Wrong with Education? It was 2010. Okay. You know, what's Wrong with Our Schools? Yeah. Uh, what's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them is the book. So you talk about, and, and you've done studies on no zero policies, um, the way the, the modern classroom is you know, so often being set up. And now we're talking about why facts and learning of detail is important, not just learning how to learn. Is there a ground zero for where a lot of this stuff is being preached that's undermining teachers and and undermining parents? Absolutely. Ground zero would be uh, colleges or faculties of education where teachers and administrators are trained. Uh, to be an education professor, that overwhelmingly that that group is the group that would disagree the most strongly with the things that I'm saying. Um, I'll give you one particular example. This is a few years ago where I was speaking at a at Acadia University, I believe it was in Nova Scotia, and uh, I was talking about this exact topic, about why we need facts and why we need to memorize things. And during the question and answer period, this professor responded by saying that there is no such thing as any piece of knowledge that everyone needs to have in common. That was his position. So he was taking issue with the idea that there are some facts everyone should know. And I asked him, like, would it be okay if we taught history without ever mentioning Confederation of 1867? Um, he didn't have an answer for that because he knew that either way, uh, his response wasn't going to look very good. Right. But that's ground zero. Faculties or colleges of education where teachers are trained, that's where you find, that's where you have the research papers and such that have the opposite view. Of course, that's where teachers get trained. That's, uh, they influence uh, ministries of education unquestionably. And so if I had to pick where do you see some of the worst ideas, that's where you see them. Michael Zwagstra is with us. Uh, he's speaking at the National Congress on Rural Education, uh, which is taking place in Saskatoon uh, next couple of days. Uh, 306, 306, Ross in Saskatoon. Don't you think, Michael, the concept of understanding critical thinking rather than just memorizing applies more to subjects like English, where Shakespeare isn't really important, but some of his themes are? Well, let me respond by saying this, uh, because what, uh, what he says, he says, this concept of understanding critical thinking rather than just memorizing, that is a false dichotomy. You c it is not rather than just memorizing and having knowledge in your brain. That knowledge and those facts make the understanding possible. So what is the point of learning themes from uh, that come out of Shakespeare's work if you don't know any of the uh, underlying details behind it? Uh, you're more likely to think critically about things if you know where it came from. I mean, we think about common sayings that are around today. Uh, knowing where those come from enhance our understanding. And so the more knowledge we have about 
But whatever the topic it, it is uh, enables us to think more critically. Some of these concepts, though, and, and you've gone through so many of them every time I've chatted with you, uh, that just make you cringe because they have great slogans like, you know, drill and kill is the way you describe memorizing the times tables. Uh, the sage on the stage. I've always loved that one. Is that still a problem? Absolutely it is. You'll hear it in uh, in colleges of education. That uh, and The full quote is uh, that you should not be a sage on the stage. Rather, you should be a guide on the side. Uh, that the teacher needs to move off to the side and needs to be rather the architect of learning. That is designing the learning process and the learning experience rather than having facts that they're passing along to students. And so this is a, it's a common saying. I've heard it for years. I heard it when I was an education student and I still hear it today. And it's a ridiculous statement because there are many times where it is fully appropriate for the teacher to be standing in front and explaining things to students. That's how you pass on information. And I should point out that when teachers go to professional development in services and when you're receiving many of these new ideas, how are they presenting the news, these new ideas? Well, normally what's happening is the teachers are sitting in the audience, <laughs> the guru, the progressive guru is in the front. And he's standing, the sage on the he's stage. He's the sage on the stage <laughs> because they know they have a limited amount of time and that's the most efficient way to make sure teachers learn this new information that they're trying to convey. That's an interesting thought because if you, again, if these education profs uh, taught this way, that they would simply enable you to study different ways to teach children and you could critically analyze the different techniques of teaching and come to your own conclusion, that would well, actually be pretty good for your point of view, but it's not the way school, the education system runs of teachers, does it? It's not. I mean, I remember when I was an education student, I remember sitting in the class, the professor would be at the front and expounding his or her ideas, usually ideas that were different from my own, arguing that it's more about learning how to learn and such. But there they were, up front, being a sage on the stage, exactly where they were arguing uh, such. I have a friend of mine who uh, graduated from the Faculty of Educa College of Education here a number of years ago, and he told me it was the ultimate irony. They'd had this class and assessment and the professor spent a the whole class arguing that testing was bad and they had their final exam. And their final exam, the question was, explain why testing is a poor way to assess students. It was a written final exam as a test, explain why testing is bad. I mean, this whole thing, the, the whole ideology just falls in on itself because it doesn't make sense. Michael Zwagstra here. What is the best way that parents should equip themselves? Because every one of us as parents are going to encounter this at some point where people, you know, teachers say it's just not that important to learn facts. Well, uh, the best thing initially is for parents to uh, develop a greater understanding themselves of how the system works and what's going on. And there's a lot of good books out there. I mean, mine is one of many. Uh, I'd recommend authors like Daniel Willingham, who's a cognitive psychologist. He's written some great books on this. Edie Hirsch has written some good books, uh, just in terms of getting some of the understanding of why things are the, the way they are. Um, I always encourage parents to talk to the teacher, uh, no matter what the issue is. Don't assume that all teachers think the same, because there are many, many teachers that fully agree with what I'm saying. There are some who disagree, but don't assume that all teachers think the same, because you may have a teacher that, uh, uh, even if they give lip service to some of these new ideas, that the reality is, is that they are conveying knowledge and information to students, and they're doing so in a very efficient way. And so it's important to talk to the teacher and uh, make sure you understand what's really going on. Michael Zwagstra is speaking at the uh, National Congress on Rural Education. The other element when you talk about content knowledge, in other words, learning stuff, uh, it's invaluable, as you say, it actually enhances reading comprehension. It makes critical thinking possible. But you have a third point that it also empowers people regardless of where they come from. 
the more content you learn, the better you're going to do. Absolutely. Let's take two grade one students, and we'll call them student X and student Y. Let's say student X comes from a high socioeconomic status family. They're reasonably well off, uh, upper middle class. They go on vacations. They go to the museum. The two parents are able to hire tutoring if necessary. And you have student Y uh, who comes from a poor home. They don't have a lot of money, and they don't have any extras. Which of those two students is going to have more background knowledge when they come to school? Obviously, in the vast majority of cases, student X. And so that student Y is at a huge disadvantage because that student is coming with a limited amount of background knowledge. Stu schools can make up a large amount of that gap by making sure that we have content and that we're teaching this in a very purposeful way. It, it's, you can never fully overcome. Obviously, there's going to be differences in students, but we need to empower students. And the students who benefit the most from content-rich instruction, where you have the teacher having clear control of the classroom and directing things, and not just simply leaving students to explore things themselves in their iPads, uh, the students who benefit the most from that order and structure and content are the students from poor homes. Those are the ones that, should, that, that benefit the most. And so for those who, wh wh wherever you are in the political spectrum, I mean, if you're, at, let's say, on the left of the political spectrum, you should be one of the strongest advocates of what I'm saying here about the importance of content and knowledge uh, in schools, because those are the students that are hurt the most if they don't get it. Michael, it's always great having you by. Michael Zwagstra, Senior Fellow at the Frontier Centre for Public Policy, the co-author of What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. Safe travels, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, John. Always happy to be with you.